0: Thank you very much. Let's take our Bibles, please, for our Bible study this morning and head to the book of Job. The book of Job, if you have notes, they're in the bulletin. Otherwise, raise your hand and the ushers will hand that to you as we get it started this morning in Job chapter 1. We are celebrating this weekend with Memorial Weekend, and we talk about a lot of the sacrifices, and that means that we talk about some of our history. We talk about some of the great battles that took place, whether it be about Bunker Hill or Yorktown, or we think of the Battle of New Orleans in American history, or you continue on, you have Gettysburg that some of you have visited and seen, and the sights of it and the sounds of it have been put in film. We get into World War I, and we have the Battle of Somme, World War II. You have the Normandy invasion. Battle of Midway, Just you can keep on listing the bit different battles, the different uh, times in our history that took place, whether it be the Korean War or even the Gulf of Vietnam or the Gulf War, that there's just many different famous battles. What I want to focus on in this morning is a battle that takes place in heaven, a battle that overflows out of heaven and comes down into this world that many of you are involved in, that you get afflicted by, you get affected by. There starts all the way back in early history. We talked about this last week. Job is written very early in in human history. And he reveals in this course of his life and in the course of his story what happens to many people in generations beyond that. That there's this huge conflict. That is taking place. We read about it as we go section by section through the book of Job. We can just take the phrase, there was a man. The first section talks about the man Job, his walk with God, what he was like. We talked about this last Sunday morning. That as that scene is set, those first five, cha- five verses of chapter 1, give us an idea that there is this man who is a godly man. Who's going to get involved with the spiritual battle, not because he's a bad man, he's a good man. And he's going to be attacked. He's going to be assaulted in a great way. And so we learn about him being one of the greats of the Old Testament. Then we have another scene that we talked about last Sunday evening in depth. There's the scene of what's happening in heaven at the very same time that it starts telling us about Job on earth. The sim- simultaneously we read about what's going on in heaven. We, we went in depth about this last day, Sunday evening where God has the angels coming before him. And they're giving account And one of the angels is Satan. And God is bragging to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Job doesn't deny that, that, I'm sorry, Satan doesn't deny that Job's a good man. He even admits he is. He's a great man. He's a good man. He loves you. Well, maybe not for the right reasons. In the course of that conversation, the battle starts taking off. The conflict is that all of a sudden, Satan, when he's talking about Job, he starts verbally accusing Job attacking him for why he loves the Lord, why he is following the Lord. We read about it last Sunday evening. We looked at it in depth. We're down in verses 9 and 10 and 11, where all of a sudden the comment is made by Satan saying, the only reason Job is following you, God, is for personal gain. He is holy for hire. He has piety for pay. He only follows you. He only only worships periodically because he thinks he's going to get something from you. And Satan is convinced that this is why many people follow the Lord. Satan has this idea that many people go to church just because it might pad their pocketbook. And so he, he's going to take Job on. He's, going to, he's attacked Job's character. He's attack, attacked his motives. And in making this comment, he says, now you take away all that he's got. His possessions. You take away everything that you've rewarded him with. And he'll stop following you. He'll stop serving you. Now Satan might be right in some cases. Maybe that is true of some individuals. That when all of a sudden they lost possessions, they lost their faith. When they lost the income, they lost their interest in the Lord. When they lose their friends, then they fault on the Lord. But when he attacks Job this way, he is attacking a man who God knows has much greater integrity at that. But I want to pause before I go further. I want to, I want to make comment about something else. When, jo- when Satan's attacking Job, he's also attacking God. We looked at it, but it's worth reminding ourselves that he is attacking God's character as well. This attack that he makes against Job, that, that the only reason Job is serving you is because you give him things, is also an attack on God for two different ways. It's very, very subtle, but how evil. Basically, he's saying in the, to God, he's saying, God, you don't even know what you're doing. You don't even know the heart of this individual. He is scamming you and he's getting away with it. He's impugning the knowledge of God. But he is also impugning the idea that God buys people's love. That the only reason people worship is because God has to give them stuff. Otherwise they have no interest in him. So God, you are a God who bribes folk. It's not that they love you. It's not that they care for you. It's not that you care for them. You're just a manipulator. You're just this deity who is a tyrant that is just buying people's votes by giving them good things. How evil, how corrupt of Satan, rotten to the core, arrogant. Well, God says to Satan, as we ended up last weekend, God allows Satan to launch the attack. We read about it. We read what happens when all of a sudden, verse 12, the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only upon him. Put not forth your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, remember this. Keep this in mind through this whole story. God knows everything. God sees all. Where we ended up last week. God sees Job and knows Job better than Satan thinks he does. God knows him. And so he allows jo- He allows Satan to go out and to take the things from Job. He puts a limitation on him. He says you cannot take his health at this point. He says that you go out and, and you can attack, but you are limited in what you could do. And Satan went forth. The idea in the Hebrew, interesting the way that, that a lot of the phrasing in the original language, he hurried out of there. Now all of a sudden, the, per, the, the prosecutor, the accuser, becomes the attacker. The prosecutor becomes the persecutor. And he launches a series of attacks against Job. A lot of you know, some of you don't. So let me just rehearse a little bit. We're going we're gonna to talk about the, the next day. That it says there was a day. This is the third scene of the, of the whole portrayal. This is the attack now that Satan makes upon Job. And when we look at the attacks, let's just highlight some things before we get into the individual concept. Let's remember some facts about this, that he is going to attack and he's going to take away all of his earthly possessions in posterity. That makes it really tough. When he attacks, he's going to use human instruments and he's going to use, I'm going to say divine or heavenly instruments. He's going to use nature, something that men can't control. When he attacks, as we're going to read in a moment, they are very severe very intense, far worse than anything that most every of us have ever experienced. The attacks are so, so, uh, they're amazing. They're totally unexpected. The attacks come all in a single day. We're going to see a phrase repeated while he was speaking, while he was speaking, while he was speaking. They're one on top of another. This isn't having a bad year. This isn't a bad week or bad month. This is a bad day from the perspective, of humanly speaking, with all the trials. Things that Job has worked for, for years, you've got to keep in your mind here, that this is his lifetime. He has already lived a, a long life. He's raised 10 kids who are all on their own by now. They're already adults, as we mentioned last Sunday. So he's already gone through a number of generations. He's been building his estate. He's been building his his... You know, crops, his, his farms, he's been established in the community. It's all going to happen in one single day. After years and years of working, he's going to lose it all. It's going to cost lives. And not only the lives of some that he loves, but remember, it's going to be lives of people he knows. And when you lose a life, it was mentioned this morning in the video, that we honor people who gave their lives. But there are other family members who have been affected by those who gave their life. In this story, the attack that Satan makes and takes the lives of some people, there are lots of family members. There's going to end up being a lot of widows, a lot of orphans, a lot of loss that's going to take place in this whole story. Let's just take it step by step. The first attack comes in verse 13. It says, And there was a day, when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, somebody's birthday, according to previous verses that we studied last week, there came a messenger unto Job, and he said, the oxen were plowing, the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabians, these are individuals that come from Sheba, south of this region, fell upon them and took them, and yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped to tell you. So he's going to lose part of his herds. Not only does he lose the herds, and let's not underestimate this, he loses his servants. He loses his employees. And it is such, a, such a, a vicious attack. How many people survive the attack? One. One. So he is losing, and, and, and mind you, if we go back into the previous, previous uh, verses, he is losing, when he gives the numbers, uh, 500 oxen, 500 asses. He is losing a large herd many herdsmen, many individuals affect. Then we read verse 16. While he was speaking in this report, there came another also, and he said, the fire of God has fallen from heaven, has burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. I even am alone. We read that there are 7,000 sheep. Folk, that had to be quite a fire coming from heaven to roast 7,000 sheep all in one swoop. This lightning storm, some have suggested, had to be, if it was a lightning storm, my, oh my, how, how awful that must have been. And all the herdsmen are lost, and only one is left. We read the next verse. While he was speaking, he says, The Chaldeans, those from the Babylonian region, made out three bands, and they fell upon the camels. They have carried them away, slain the servants. I only am left. For, for these guys to pull off this raid of getting 3,000 camels, they had to have this organized. There had to be a viciousness here to wipe out all the servants. And so Job has just learned that everything he is invested in, that all of his property is gone, all of his income is gone, all of his retirement is gone, all of his checking account is gone. Anything worth value to him materially, Anything that you would consider physical material that you could cash in, that you could live on, it's gone. And then he hears the worst news. The worst news comes in the next verse. It says, while he was yet speaking, all of a sudden somebody comes in and says, your sons, your daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind or tornado from the wilderness smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they're dead, and I only am escaped. He loses a child, a child, a child, a child, a child. He loses 10. 10 in one day. When we were back home just a few weeks ago, we learned some of our family history that I didn't know about. I learned that on one day, my father was, it was my grandmother had just given birth to her uh, second daughter. And she was walking across the street there in this small town. And she was holding the baby and she had three of the other kids were in the car and said don't any of you get out of the car and as she was walking across the street to go to the store to get some medication for the baby some older gentleman who hadn't ever driven a car before but just purchased his first car and he was in his 70s he was driving down the road uncertain of what he was doing and my dad who was 4 years old at the time hopped out of the car to get to run across the street to my mom uh, to my grandmother and she heard the kids all scream and she turned and she saw my dad running across the road and saw this car being driven by the 70-year-old. Hit my dad. I mean, it was one of those old cars that had, was off the road. My dad rolled underneath the car for several, you know quite a distance because the gentleman didn't know how to stop the car until he hit a post. It also, in that course of it, when it, it hit my, uh, took my dad, my grandmother had reached out to grab his hand to pull him away and the car had hit her threw her and the baby out of her arms. And the baby landed on the sidewalk. My Aunt Betty Ann had a deformity the rest of her life. And I didn't know any of that story. I I knew about my other set of grandparents that in 1918, when they first came to America, they had four children. They buried all four in five days because of the influenza. You hear those stories and you wonder, how did they do that? How did they handle that stuff? Job has ten children die in one day. Horrible. Awful. Lost everything. That's the setting. That's the scene of what we have. And the life's truth that we've got to walk away from this morning, and keep this in mind, this is a lesson that is, that is real. You're not exempt from suffering because you're born again. There's, no, there's, there's not a sign that says, do not disturb on your spirit. So Satan can't attack he can. There is going to be battles. There is going to be suffering. It will happen. We're even called at times to engage in the sufferings of Jesus Christ, that it helps to grow us and to become us more like the Christ in his image. So suffering is a part of our life. It's a part of the reality. That means this, That when you experience sufferings, don't assume you have done something wrong. Don't assume God is mad at you. Don't assume that God is ignoring you or forgotten you or is being a tyrant against you. Don't assume that you aren't worth blessings and there must be something terribly and bad about you that all these bad things are happening. Don't assume that. Suffering is a part of the sanctification process. And it'll happen. There is an enemy who will attack you. And he will bring some sufferings into our lives. God has not deserted us at those moments. As we'll see as we explore more and more about the story of Job. But remember, if you adopt any one of these phrases, you are giving in to why Satan attacked you. He is fighting to get you to think God doesn't care. He is attacking to get you to think that God has forgotten you. Don't believe the liar. Don't believe the prince of, of murder. Don't believe the evil one. Just because their sufferings doesn't mean God has forsaken you. That's what Job knows. That's what Job describes. He's just been knocked down, folk. He has been given the most devastating blow to the chin. He is going to respond the way we respond. When it says in verse 20, He arose, He tore off His clothes, He shaved His head. I guess so. Those are, those are cultural ways of showing grief, showing mourning, that He's going to do that which in His culture is a display of agony and pain and just intense, intense sadness and sorrow. That's real. We understand that. We understand that he is there, he is afflicted, and we understand without it being being told that Satan has done this and now is waiting. He is waiting for Job to turn against God. He has said, He has said, Hey, you just take away everything and watch. Job will curse God. He will he will just turn on you the Lord on, on you, Lord. And so Satan is watching. He's waiting for Job to start uttering things like this is so unfair. Why would you do this to me? After all I've done for you and you said you love me. If you're really a loving God, how could you let this happen to us? He, he's waiting for Satan to say, where are you? Just like Mary and Martha did when their brother Joseph, or Lazarus died. And all of a sudden Jesus comes and their first reaction is, where were you? If you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Just like the disciples when the storm is coming and they run to the back of the the ship and Jesus is asleep and they stir him and they wake him up and say, don't you care that we perish? Satan's waiting for Job to say that. He's waiting for him to express this. Some doubt, some attack, some accusation against God because he's wagered. He's, he's, he's convinced in his heart that if God takes away from his children any blessings, his children will turn on God. Now that may be true of some. It wasn't true of Job. We read, Job arose, rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down upon the ground, and what's the next words? He worshiped look at verse 21 naked came I out of my mother's womb naked I shall return shall I return thither the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away the last phrase read it with me out loud blessed be the name of the Lord and in all this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly whoa wow He's knocked down, but he's not out. He's worshiping, not cursing God. He doesn't get mad. He doesn't get upset with God. He praises and blesses God. The things that he's just lost, he realizes that they are things. The giver is still the giver. He is the great one. He is one who has just proven the, the, the prince of lies, the father of all lies, is a liar once more. He's a liar. Job, could, job didn't say it, but Job could have said, he said, I would curse God if I lost my wallet, if I lost my phone, if all of a sudden God took away my income, my job, that I would lose faith in God. That's what Satan said, but he's a liar. He's wrong. Job could honestly say that. Because we read of Job responding by blessing God. He blesses God in the darkest day. He still doesn't know why this happened. He doesn't know what's going to come next. Now, please don't do this. Please don't say, yeah, but look at the end of the story. Number one, Job isn't living in the end of the story. Job is experiencing loss. He has no idea he's going to get some of it back. Besides... He lost 10 kids. You never replace them. He's going to get more kids. But he still has the loss of the ones he loved. And here he is. He doesn't know what's happening. He doesn't know what's going to be next. But what he does know, what he does understand, what he knows in his heart about God Almighty helps him to respond by saying, Blessed be the name of God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he sins not, nor does he charge God foolishly. What is it? What's in this man's mind? What's in his heart? What does he know that keeps him rock solid when he's surrounded by quicksand? What is it? What is it that's in his mind? Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. There are peoples who have lived generations in the past that have looked up in the sky and they saw the sun as it moved across the sky. And they made the conclusion that the earth is the center of the universe. That the sun rotates around the earth. They made the conclusion that what happens is the sun goes away. It goes to bed. Even youngsters who are limited in their knowledge say the same thing even today. That the sun has gone to bed. The sun has gone to sleep. Because of their limited knowledge and their limited perspective, they look and they say, this is what it feels like. It feels like the sun is moving across. It feels like I'm on this solid piece of ground that isn't moving, but everything else in the universe is moving. And it might look that way, and it might feel that way, but are those the facts? No, actually... The scientific facts that took a while for people to discover is that actually the sun is the center. The earth is going around the sun, not the sun moving, but the earth moving. That's a scientific fact, correct? You do believe that, right? Okay. It's a scientific fact that we are on a ball of dirt that is spinning constantly, That right now where we are, the earth is moving in its daily rotation. We're going 1,038 miles per hour. Doesn't feel that way. If if it felt that way, we'd be going zoom, zoom, zoom. I mean, this room would be cleared out quickly with people flying all over. Scientific fact that as it's spinning, it's going around in its revolution, yearly annual revolution, and we're moving at 66,000 miles an hour. Doesn't feel that way. But those are the scientific facts, yes? Unless you believe the earth is flat and you're not there yet still, are you? Okay. Have we moved in our understanding of the universe? Yes. Can we move in our understanding of God? Can we stop staying in a realm where we think of God by how we feel and what we think he should do? Can we increase our spiritual knowledge and adjust our thinking so that we think from God's perspective, not from our perspective? That's what Job did. Job all of a sudden understood spiritual facts. They didn't mean that that life would be easy. They didn't mean pain would go away. They didn't mean that everything should be rosy in life. But these were the spiritual facts that he held on to no matter what was going on. The spiritual facts led him to praise God, to bless God, because he believed this. He believed God is the one who governs. God is the one who always governs. He believed in his heart that it is the Lord that gives, it is the Lord that takes away. That God is the one who is in charge. He believed that whatever he experienced whether it was good or whether it was something that was hard to experience, that God was still in control. He believed in his heart that even though there was a lot of difficulties that were taking place, even though there was nature out of uh, nature was out of control. All of a sudden, here in his in his neighborhood, and the Sabians and the Chaldeans were out of control in his neighborhood. He believed God was still on the throne. Even though Washington may be really messed up, if he were living today, he would say, God is still God. That God is still the one who governs. That God is the one who knows all, who understands, and he is aware of every event that is taking place. That is his higher spiritual knowledge that moved him from a from a middle age point of view of God, that moved him to a point where he was able to say, God is the master of the universe. He is my master as well. Therefore, I will bless him. He is still greater than me. He is still the one who needs to be worshipped. He is the creator. I am the creature. He's in charge, not me. Therefore, I will bless the Lord. He had another spiritual fact that helped him to bless the Lord. He believed this. God does only good. God does only good. In that fact that he says, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. The way it is constructed in the original language, it is the idea he did not charge God with being inappropriate, with God doing anything wrong. With God doing anything without sense, without purpose. The idea is this. If we want to rephrase it to be a more literal, uh, literal interpretation. He did not give or attribute folly to God. He did not say God has ever done wrong or inappropriate towards me. He's just lost his kids. He's lost his social security. He's lost everything. He's lost all of his servants. But four. He's, he's lost friends. And he says, God has not done me wrong. He makes that comment that God has given good. That God has been gracious. That God has been, been kind to him in the past. The Lord gives as a gift. And I didn't deserve it in the first place. What incomes I had. What blessings I had. God didn't owe it to me. They belonged to God. They were his. The kids that I had, I was just an ambassador. I was a steward. They were his kids. He is looking at the Son of God from a deep spiritual perspective. Though it doesn't feel this way. Though it doesn't, doesn't, you know, isn't pleasant, there's a deeper, bigger knowledge here that he possesses that says God is good. Even when there's personally, personal suffering, God isn't allowing this. God isn't doing this to hurt me, but to help me. Because all things work together for. The problem is to find good. Good from our perspective where we see the sun go across the sky. Good making me happy. Making me wealthy. Making me have more fun, more games, less pressure. Or good for what I was created to do. Good for the real purpose. Good for what's going to matter in eternity. God governs. God is good. And he had another thought that led him to say, I'm going to worship, even in the middle of this being knocked down. God is my God. God is my, this is very similar to Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, written by a man who's on the lamb. written by a man who's being hunted down by his father-in-law. He, here all of a sudden, Job is saying, God is my God. Look at those two verses. Look at that, that phrase, twenty twenty one. Notice how many times he uses the word Lord. What do you notice about Lord? Anybody see something there? What about Lord every time he uses the, the term? It's, it's all capitalized. What's that mean to you? It means that in this text, he is using the personal name, the intimate name of God, which is Yahweh. Or... Jehovah, same thing. He is saying that God isn't this, this you know, entity, deity that I don't know about. I know him. We are on a first name basis. We are close. We have this intimacy. We have this relationship. Even though he loses everything, he says, I still have the Lord. I still have Yahweh. I have lost my children, I have lost my possessions. My posterity, my possessions are all gone. But I still have Yahweh. He makes the comment, naked I came into this world, naked I'm going to go out. Saying that, hey listen, all those possessions I had, and I'm not minimized, I'm not saying your car isn't important, that you shouldn't take care of it, or your house, or your possessions, or your, your provisions, or your job. I'm not saying that they're not important, but the reality is they're not going with you. They're gonna stay here. None of, us, none of us are taking the checking account, we're not taking the credit cards, and a woe to some to realize this, you're not taking your cell phone. Okay. How you're gonna handle eternity, I don't know. But it's not gonna be there. Okay. The the fact is we don't take the possessions are are limited. The possessions aren't supposed to be our most important part of our life. Tell that to Americans. With all the storage companies that are making millions, we can't even keep our possessions in our own homes. We have to put them in the attics and the garages so our cars don't have room. And then we have to rent other space to put the extra stuff. And then the reality is, it's not going with us. In a hundred years from now, so what? All the shoes in the closet, <laughs> of what value will that be at the Bema seat? Well, Jesus, I knew how to dress. Okay. I, I, and again, we're supposed to dress right. I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about those things. But is it a fact that we get overburdened by possessions. Job didn't. Job was a good steward. Job was taking care of these things. He used his wealth and he used it to help people out. We looked at this last week in chapters 28 and 29 how he was, he used those things for good. But he realized that they aren't the most important thing in life. Shock. Shock. And this is not the time of the year to say it. Okay, I understand because, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm all for education. I, I believe the degrees are important. I've got several of them. They're good, they're important. I went to school and all that. But it really isn't going to make a difference in eternity what degrees I have. It's my relationship to God. It's what have I done with the Lord? Though a man gain the whole world and, that, and yet lose his own soul. And Job says, you know, in all of this, even as I approach parenting, we talked about this last week. Perhaps my kids have sinned against the Lord, so offer sacrifice. The most important thing for my kids is their walk with the Lord. The most important thing I can do for them is not teach them how to have fun. I need to teach them how to be sensitive to the Lord. And so here's Job. Understanding that the relationship of all relationships, that is more permanent. And and again, I I fail. I stumble. I am so weak in trying to express this. And it is so profound and I am so non-profound. I love my wife. I love my kids and grandkids. They're the most important people to me in this world. I I, I think I would do anything for them. But it, all those relationships are temporary. The most important permanent relationship is my creator. What will it be like when I stand before him? What will he say to me? How will this work with between? He, Job knew that what he did with the Lord would make all the difference in all of eternity. What you do with the Lord, you ignore him, you reject him, you say that there are more important things in life and I'll put God off and I'll just I, I, I don't need him. I, I'm I'm making a name for myself, I'm making possessions for myself, I'm making reputation for myself. Where's that gonna get you in eternity? You need to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior first and foremost. Because he is the most important person that you can have a relationship And he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man, no person, including you, can come into heaven without him. You can't get into heaven by your money. You can't get into heaven by your degrees. You can't get into heaven by having a large family. If that were the case, we'd bust these walls open, wouldn't we? What have you done with Jesus. And Job says, despite, and he he loved his kids. He's mourning them. He's brokenhearted. They're important. What about him in Christ? Because here's what he realizes. I need the Lord to make me get this through. I need them. I need the Lord. The Lord is the one who is most permanent, and he is the one who can help me the most. Please do not, this this is going to sound heartless. I don't mean it that way. Some of you have lost loved ones. And you have endured. You have been able to go through it because of the Lord. It's the Lord that carries you through. It's not me. It's not others. It's the Lord. You need the Lord Jesus Christ. He's thinking on a different plane. He's not standing at the level that many of us are standing and watching and looking at, the, looking at the universe around him from a limited perspective. This guy's got real spiritual knowledge. This guy has really grown. And so he falls down and says, blessed be the name of the Lord. And you know what? I don't care what happens to me. I will not. I will not give up my walk with the Lord. I will not hinder it. I will not abdicate it. I will not let anything, anything, any heartache, any hardship get me to walk away from the Lord. I can't afford that. That's Job. That's this guy. Can I ask you a question? From your perspective, who does the universe circle? Who's the center of your universe? You. God, do for me. God, give me. Those are mine. You can't take them, God. This is my life. You can't touch it. These are my teen years. Or are you at a spot where you have said, you know what? I'm going to step it up a notch. And I am going to come to a point in my life where I adopt a higher spiritual understanding of the way things really work in this world. And I'm going to come to that point where all of a sudden what I'm going to do is I'm going to do what Job did. I'm going to start this practice this week that what I will do, I will bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord no matter what is happening. I will bless the Lord. I don't care what somebody has done to me. I will bless the Lord. I don't care what goes right, what goes wrong. I am going to bless the Lord. And this week, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to grow in my understanding. I'm going to grow in my response to situations. When that tire is flat and I'm in a hurry and I'll run out the house and it's flat, instead of getting angry, I'm going to pause and bless the Lord. When I am making supper and all of a sudden I spill a can of peas and they go everywhere and I'm not going to do the normal. Oh, oh, why does it always happen to me? I'm going to pause and say in light of eternity, the peas don't make a difference. I'm going to bless the Lord that we have food. might be on the floor, but I'm going to bless the Lord we have food. When all of a sudden... I really need to communicate something and my battery died. I'm going to bless the Lord. I'm not going to get mad at somebody else who should have plugged in my phone. I'm going to bless the Lord. When opportunity arises this week to actually pray and worship in the middle of your busyness between hiking and camping and sports and video games and shopping. I'm going to take time and I'm going to bless the Lord. When all of a sudden we're out and we have plans to hit Hershey Park and all of a sudden this afternoon we're there and a storm comes and it starts raining and they stop the roller coaster right when I've waited an hour and a half for it. Uh, Seriously, it really won't make a difference in eternity. But my attitude will. I'm going to bless the Lord. I'm going to bless the Lord instead of becoming this uptight person. As I bless the Lord, as I learn to change my perspective and my attitude about individuals and life around me, I will show that I have a greater spiritual understanding and can be a better witness for Christ. I'm going to bless the Lord. I'm going to bless the Lord. you going to respond this way this week? you going to respond, say, blessed be the name of the Lord? There's a song that we sing at times. The song is written by a man who had cancer. Song is by a man who went through losing his eye. But he said, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord and wrote that song during that time. Same man now is struggling with Alzheimer's, unable to do those ministries that he was able to do for years and years and years and produce all those Patch the Pirate tapes and songs and programs. And yet his family is just blessing the Lord and giving thanks to the Lord. Would you join me in this song of thinking about how we can bless the Lord? And if you're here this morning, You say, I don't have that walk with the Lord. Something's missing in my life. Ellen, if you'd stand right there, others are going to join him. They are going to wait to talk with you. They will show you from the Bible how you can be sure that you are on your way to heaven. How to have that relationship with Christ. You're here this morning while we sing a song of rejoicing in the Lord. Feel free to get up and go and talk with any of those men or those ladies headed over that direction right now. As we worship, as we get perspective... As we think about the reality, the big picture, let's bless the Lord. Let's bless the Lord.